Hello and welcome to another episode of The Clever Kids. This is a weekly podcast where three brothers talk about a topic from popular culture that you may or may not care about. My name is Tyler. You got Brian here. And I'm Jeff. And this week we're talking about the 1988 classic fantasy film Willow, directed by Ron Howard, with a story by George Lucas and a screenplay by Bob Dolman, starring Val Kilmer, Joanne Wally, Warwick Davis... Gene Marsh and some other '80s classics. Um, who's move, who picked this this week? That was Brian, right? Oh, Brian. That was me. That was me. Brian, why don't you introduce us to the the movie and the concepts that we're talking about this week? I affectionately term this movie as the '80s Lord of the Rings. It's uh, fantasy. I don't know if you can call it an epic. I don't know if it quite hits that level, but fantasy. Uh, story about um, a Nelwyn, which is a uh, you know a dwarf uh, community. They you know one of the members of the community, a uh, uh, main character named Willow, uh, finds a baby uh, fl- that has floated down the river to them. This baby, as we found in the first scene of the movie, is destined to be a great queen. Um, and is currently being like hunted by a dark, powerful sorceress named Bav Morda, who is basically ruling the country currently and realizes that the baby is a threat to her rule or is prophesied to overthrow her. Uh, Willow is tasked with uh, taking this baby to... You picture the, the Nelwins as like hobbits and they're in their own community uh, kind of removed from the rest of the goings on in the world of you know kind of like I don't know uh, regular sized people and uh, he's tasked with taking this baby to the land of regular sized people and passing it off and he ends up just getting embroiled in a a adventure that leads to um, combating the evil queen and and you know kind of like bringing peace to the land yeah so it's it's crazy how similar this like watching this movie again i always remember comparing it to lord of the rings because i don't think i had seen it until i saw the fellowship of the ring right around around the time that i was like 11 or 12 um but re-watching it i was like wow this movie actually shares more similarities with lord of the rings than i remember it having like it's very similar like even just that opening plot structure of like you have this race of like sort of hobbits that live separate from the rest of the world in their own little community and then this thing from outside of their world gets discovered and they're hiding it and then they get tossed with taking it to a second location and then from that second location they discover that they have to pursue it a little bit further to like and become like the main characters in this like sort of action adventure and i was like wow that literally is the, the the base plot of lord of the rings george lucas came up with the story for this movie while he was on the set of return of the jedi that's like the you know the story behind when he started writing it right and he um i really feel like george lucas unashamedly steals plots from other things and then just turns them into his own version you know what i mean like the first star wars is basically uh forbidden fortress or hidden fortress or whatever that kurosawa movie is um i can't remember right now 
Um, it's also very much the, the you know standard hero's journey. Like he takes a lot of like typical folklore style legends and then just puts like his own twist on them, which I can't shame him for because what does any author do, right? Like that's that's essentially what everybody does. But it, sometimes the strings to his his inspiration are very clearly defined. You know, it's funny. And then it's funny to me that um, Paolini got like so much shit for copying Star Wars in the the uh, Inheritance trilogy for the first Aragon when that's all George Lucas did yeah. anyway. So it's like he kind of like, you know, if anybody deserves to be ripped off, it is George Lucas. Let's be honest here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember I've told you guys before, but I came across a funny write up one time that was a very generic write up without any specific details describing the plot of Aragon and it's like it could also completely describe uh Star Wars you know where it's like um oh you know this uh castaway son of uh you know one of the fallen order a farm boy yeah, yeah a farm boy uh living with his uncle um meets an old man who turns out to be another member of the fallen order of and they a, go on a quest like a secret magician yeah who's yeah, been hiding there's like this whole yeah. write up and it basically perfectly encapsulate uh, like summarizes both stories and it's like a damning uh point of like dude you straight lifted your entire story off Star Wars. Oh, very similar but i to be again like that's just like straight up the standard hero's journey just like read the, the hero with a thousand faces and it's literally that that plot line over and over and over again like most mythology follows that exact same plot as well right i mean even what's that movie with henry cavill that we all really like directed by tarsim singh but it looks like it was directed by Zack snyder immortals Immortals. yeah immortals that like look at the the plot of that it's the same thing he's like a rural farm boy who's like been discarded and then he's like hanging out with this old man who's secretly a wizard but it's actually zeus or whatever but you know what i mean (laughs) it's like literally the same plot um yeah, I Those don't know. Farm boys, man. Those farm boys are destined for greatness. Yeah, yeah. It's the same thing. Like that that sort of thing is just retold over and over and over again throughout history. So you can't really blame Paulini, but the parallels between Star Wars and that one are pretty bad. pretty bad. close. But Jeff, yeah. didn't I send you a meme where a guy was describing Harry Potter as the same plot as Star Wars recently? And yeah, it was pretty funny actually. I was like, "Damn, that that's kind of true." It's very simple. Like, if you break down just the so- the core plot elements of of Harry Potter, it's also very similar to Star Wars. So, you know. Anyway, well, I mean, I Willow friend, is sorry. Go ahead. I, I had a friend who recently watched the, uh, and I think she actually listens to this podcast sometimes. But she recently watched Lord of the Rings for the first time. I think she's only made it through the first or the second. I don't know, but um, she watched the first one, turned around, and was like, "Oh my god." J.K. Rowling stole all this stuff from from Lord of the Rings. Um, there's a dark wizard. They refer to him as the Dark Lord. That like just went off on a couple similarities. And what's really really incredible about the storytelling is that Lord of the Rings didn't really steal much from things other than mythology. Like there's so much original concepts that Tolkien. Well, it's just earlier. It came earlier, right? Yeah. Also, like, there was he just didn't have from. access to a lot of things. Yeah, right. exactly. Which is so amazing. Where was he for him to steal from exactly. Yeah, he stole him. from what existed at the time. The fact to that, be he, fair. that he that <laughs> he generated mythology. this entire concept of of fantasy and making that a concept. Really, I know that there were but fantasy he books based prior to him. All of it, like off on of mythology. like Celtic mythology yes. and Nordic mythology, like the trolls and goblins yes, and all of those yes. things existed in fiction. You know, in 
quote unquote fiction of the time, which is just their religions of right. the ancients. They weren't right. as popularized, and they definitely right. fall out of public. He's a thief too. All right, he's a thief too. All right, they're all thieves. All right, yeah. let's. I don't contone that. The I think he prefers to be called a burglar. But um, yeah. speaking yeah. of Willow uh, directly, though, the Hobbit, Hobbit, anybody? I mean, I, I also. I, noticed a lot of similarities i knew to look for them but the similarities between lord of the rings i mean basically i was just trying to see how much of this of george lucas how much of this can be directly if you take out the word uh baby and put in the word ring how much of this (laughs) does this fit the the lord of the rings story a lot of it and a a lot lot of it it. does so i looked into it the baby chooses someone as her bear as like the baby bearer you know what i mean i was like well that's kind of ridiculous <laughs> but so okay I, I, it even waves at him at the end and i'm like you're way too young to know how to wave i don't buy it <laughs> i i looked I at Archer uh, waves at me all the time what are you talking about i looked at a bunch of stuff around the film and found out that actually the i didn't know this but um warwick davis the actor that plays willow was one of the lead ewoks from return of the jedi yeah he's wicked yeah i didn't i didn't about? know that yeah, he um, was like he's a, also he's also Flitwick in Harry Potter. Yeah. Oh my God, they're all interconnected. Yeah, he's in everything. Warwick he's Davis. in I think almost <laughs> all Star Wars yeah, movies since. He's a legend. He's like he's awesome. he and George Lucas are like really tight. Like he's in the Phantom Menace in the in the crowd during the pod racing scene. He's yeah. Yeah, he's dude, everywhere. I got to be honest with you, his stuff held up in that movie. I really enjoyed I him like, on screen. I like. I'm like, dude, Warwick, Warwick Davis, Davis is a killer, skills, dude. Yeah, I was I like really him. enjoying him. I was really enjoying Val Kilmer. The person that was driving me nuts was Rozelle once she became a human. I thought her acting was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever, man. Like, I, Warwick Davis I, was a real joy on screen, and, and, uh, and also Val Kilmer. They were just both, like, this... every time they were on screen, I couldn't stop watching. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't know where it was in my life. I think it has to be that he was Batman around the time that I was, like, getting really into Batman, you know? So... But, like, I've always, like, really had a soft spot for Val Kilmer. But watching him in this movie, I was like, no, no, no. He's actually really great. He's super charming. He crushes this character. Like, I love Val Kilmer. I wouldn't steal milk from a baby. He had so <laughs> many, like, funny comments. Like, he was like, uh, uh, what are you going to look like when he turns you back? And she's like, a young, beautiful woman. And he's like, focus, Willow. <laughs> I started dying, dude. I was like, that's my guy right there. Like, I'm dying laughing. I mean, we're just going to break into the to the review of the film overall. I... Yeah. Oh, a, do we, we quickly we, want to do the non-spoilers? Do we like this movie? I think we all liked it, right? Yeah. I think it's yeah. pretty easy I mean, the, to say. The one yeah, it's a great movie. comment that yeah. I had to say was, you know, a lot of movies as we watch back in time, specifically the movie that I'm going to pick for next week, a lot of the scenes just don't hold up because of CGI. Um, and I actually didn't feel that. I didn't feel a lot of breaks in immersion through this film. Like, even, like, the whole wagon chase scene, like, there was, like, you could tell they put their heart and soul into making this film. Like they tried their best to make it seamlessly. I was like, you know what? The choreography is not terrible for being from 1988. Like I think every special effects scene holds up even like, so ILM, I looked into it because I was like, wow, this looks really good. I thought it was older. I thought it was from like 82, but it's from 88. Um, ILM, which is George Lucas started the special effects company during the first star Wars movie. And they're basically like the industry leading special effects company still to this day. Like they're really, they're really incredible. They do amazing work. Um, it's like them and Weta, which is from New Zealand. Those are the two that really do a good job. And to be honest, Peter Jackson kind of gave Weta their start during the Lord of the Rings movies. And that's the, anyway, it's a whole other talk, topic, but ILM really pulled out all the stops in this movie and developed like morph like a new morphing engine to like that's why like all the transitions between like when they uh, uh, Willow like spoilers turns that that goblin into like a 
pile of mush and then kicks it into the water and then it turns into that giant monster, the two-headed yeah. monster, the the Igrisisk or whatever they called it. Um, yeah. It they like they created a whole new technology to make that look that good. You know what I mean? And I yeah I agree that special effects really held up. One of the other things, Dude, I the, the they had the brownies riding around on the birds, mm-hmm. and I was like, that looks good. Like, like I know it's not perfect. I know it's you got to watch it for through an 80s lens, though? but that it looked good. And then there was a scene where it showed them riding through uh, like canyons. I think it's when um, Sorsha gets away from Mad Mardigan and takes off, and they like zoom out, and you see a bunch of like um, plateaus and stuff. It's kind of like this really interesting looking environment that they're in, and they did kind of a panning shot. And it looked really good. I was like, man, I'm wondering how they're doing this with this, like, with what they had their and limitations back then. One of the things that I wanted to point out, and and just focus a little bit of the conversation on this is, with watching these 1980s films, it's giving me a real appreciation for set design, which is something that I feel like is missing. Like even Conan from last week, I didn't mention this, but like there's a whole sequence where they're fighting inside of like, only for like two scenes are they fighting inside of this uh, serpent's temple. And like mm-hmm. the set is gorgeous. Like they're they're yeah. interacting with their set. They're throwing things at each other. They're interacting with the world, and it looks great. And this film too. Like on the castle, I'm sitting there. I'm like, did they build a castle for this? Like they they filmed it in Wales. Apparently, it's like did they just take over an old castle and like film this because it looks incredible. Um, yeah, looks like a really sure. fun set. Really interacting. Like moving more towards that. Um, Before we get any further, in, realistic just... aspect quickly want to give out that spoiler warning spoilers ahead for any film including this one ever Ever. made ever made and even that little film that you think only you've seen we're gonna spoil it spoil the shit out of that because even your home videos you don't want anyone to know about we're gonna talk about them that's right um so yeah spoilers ahead yeah jeff i totally agree i've been watching a lot of 70s and 80s movies recently which kind of was the inspiration for this sort of structural shift that we've done on the podcast but I I one hundred percent agree with you that like set design and like the practical effects that they had to do back in the day actually make movies almost more interesting to watch and like appreciate because one of my frustration with a lot of the Star Wars movies and TV shows that we've been seeing lately is how much of it they film in the volume, which is this new sort of green screen technology that they've created. It's not green screen, but they have like a backlit. LED projected, uh, you know, massive screen that they act against and everything. I mean, it looks great for sets when you can't develop things or you can't shoot on location, but overall, I just, I don't, I appreciate the physicality of like an actual set, like the original Lord of the Rings movies, like they really built those castles that they all act in. And, you know, they found, they built structures on top of hills and then disassembled them after the movies were created. And they built the Hobbiton into the landscape. And you actually like, it feels real. It feels like you're actually transported into the environment. And I felt that way watching Willow as well, where it's just like, it was very cool to see these people kind of inhabiting a space, you know what I mean? That felt real. So I 100% agree with you. That was one of the notes I had as well. Um, and same with Conan. I also really appreciated that, you know, it's based on the limitations of the time. They had to, you know, they couldn't just fake right. it, you know, so they had to build it. And then I think that, that there's an appreciation I have of like feeling like you're immersed in the world when you're actually seeing a space that looks like it's out of this world, you know, or in like another realm or something. Um, yeah, I thought the special effects in this looked really good. Uh, did, uh, did you have any other points there, Jeff, before we took it away from you? 
No, no, absolutely. I'm glad that you guys agree. Just I really love the set design. I, I think the special effects did not break immersion. Um, yeah, I, uh, I I will say I, the other thing that I learned when I looked it up that actually helped me appreciate the film was uh, two different villains in the film. You already mentioned one of them, the Ebor Sisk, which is like the Hydra type monster, and the uh, evil General Kale were both named after film critics. Yeah, I saw that too. Actually, I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> What the Igor Sisk is uh, Roger Ebert and uh, Gene Siskel, Siskel and Ebert, like the two biggest movie critics of all time, Um, or you know, maybe not of all time, but the the first two that were household names, I would say. Um, He named the two-headed monster after the two of them and just like combined it, Igor Sisk, which or Igor Sisk or whatever. Pretty funny. Um, I thought that the action scenes looked really good for being from the 80s. I mean, it's it's kind of the same thing that we talked about last week with Conan, where like, he swings this axe, and it you can tell it like just bounces off the person it hits, and like, I saw that with Mad Mardigan. He hits that guy in the face with his sword, and it breaks the mask off, but that's it. <laughs> it's just kind of like nothing else, and then it cuts to the person's face, and they, they like put blood on it, but you could tell that it didn't, you know. Against today's action standards, it looks silly, but I, I liked it. I thought it was really good, although I will say sword fighting choreography was not up to snuff back then because Mad Mordigan being the best swordsman in the realm or whatever, uh, I didn't see a lot of that in this, so um, I don't know. I did like the, the trick where he stepped on the hilt and then pulled the guy down into it. Dude, I was about to talk about that. Like, that was kind of an interesting way to kill somebody. I'd, yeah. I'd appreciate it. Especially against, like, an 80s special effects. Like, I was like, that's... that. I mean, it didn't look great. It kind of looks clumsy. But honestly, like, just as far as choreography goes, I enjoyed it. I was like, oh, that's a yeah. cool trick. Like, I like... Interesting, interesting way to kill somebody. Yeah. yeah I, if, if they remade it, they would have to keep that part in. You know what I mean? People would expect yeah. to see Mad Mardigan kill him that way. way. Of killing somebody. Yeah. I could, I could easily see that beating someone where the bad guy dies and as he's dying he's like nice move like that was sick <laughs> yeah you got you know, i didn't see that one coming you know yeah i liked that um i did quickly want to say the guy the kale general is the same uh big guy that indiana jones has the fight against in raiders of the lost ark where he he the guy the gets German chopped up by officer? the yeah by oh, the wow. propeller it's the same because he has one of those fights in every movie so i you know kind of dependent on yeah, so it's that one specifically where he has the one-on-one boxing match with that that German guy comes out half shaven and sees him fighting the other two guys and, and it's like, like oh yeah. yeah this is what I've been waiting for I, I just watched had a that good movie fight this week. since this morning yeah yeah I just watched that movie this week and was like this scene is awesome I actually yeah. really love this he's like come on let's yeah, go he's like oh I've been waiting for this I've I've been sitting out here in the today. desert with no one to punch. Thank you yeah. for showing up, American. <laughs> yeah, pretty good. Um, but yeah, same big guy. Um, which uh, I will say, George Lucas in the '80s was on a fucking tear, dude. Like hitting Star Wars in '77, and then the other two Star Wars movies in the '80s, and then coming up with the base, the story for Indiana Jones, and giving that to Steven Spielberg, and then coming up with the story for Willow and giving it to Ron Howard. I mean, George Lucas was like unstoppable during this this. Ten, like this decade you know or like these two you know decade and a half or whatever um really impressive but you can see george lucas's fingerprints i feel like all over this like the humor and stuff they bring in uh dolman to write the screenplay and you i don't know a lot of that guy's writing credits but um I still feel like he must have worked with George Lucas on a lot of this because a lot of the jokes and stuff feel very 19 Star Wars 1977 to me. Um, 
I don't know how you guys felt about that. Well, I guess, Brian, you already commented on the humor. Val Kilmer's humor in this was really funny. He, he's he's the comedic relief to the whole thing, and it's it's hysterical. I mean, the whole scene with Lug where he's dressed as a woman, and then the guy's like, not a woman. And yeah. he's like, meet Lug. And then he just, ducks. Like, <laughs> chaos just breaks loose. I was like, I appreciated that. That was a very funny way to build that up. Um, and he has a couple of scenes like that where he's just very funny. But yeah. And he just, he did a good job of just coming off as a very unpredictable personality where like he just had these sudden breaks of anger and then he'd go right back to being chill. Like he did a good job of that. I think that'd be a really interesting role. I was, uh, I was looking at Mad Mardigan stuff after the movie last night and I saw that fans were like suggesting that that's a future Chris Evans role. Uh, you know, at some point in the past, I don't know if that's a recent effort that people are talking about, but, um. And I thought, what an interesting role for him, because I've seen him in, in a role like Captain America, where he's the chilled hero. And then I've seen him recently in, in what's that movie on Netflix with Ryan Gosling, where he's a little bit more of a wild card bad Great guy. Man. And I thought, man, I bet you can m- mesh a couple of his roles together. And he'd actually do a pretty good job doing a modern age Mad Mardigan. But. Yeah, I could see him pulling off the Mad Mardigan. I mean, he kind of exudes that energy when he's the Human Torch early on in his career. You know what I mean? Yeah, Where cocky he's kind and of suave, and, yeah, yeah, cocky and unpredictable and kind of hot-headed. You know, so I think he does pull off that um, that role. I mean, I don't think they're gonna. I mean, especially with the new series coming out, they're definitely not gonna remake Willow anytime soon because, and they're not recasting Mad Mardigan apparently. Do, do you know who got it? What? Mad Mardigan? Well, they're not recasting him. They're not doing it. They're not doing Mad, Mad Mardigan's not going to be in the show? I don't think so. Not, not, as, not as far as I'm aware. Because um, they're actually bringing Warwick back, which means it's like years later or whatever, right? Right, right, right. Um, oh, let's I kind of hate that. I think do, Mad do, do. should have done a remake. They're doing Ruby Cruz as Kit, a princess and daughter of Sorsha. So, and there's a twin brother of Ruby. Do, do, do. I don't know who that would be. Um, Joan Wally is coming back. The, Joanne Wally, who's Sorsha, she's coming back. So there you go. Um, that's all I know. Uh, but yeah, I, yeah, I don't. They, they, they shouldn't. I don't think recast Mad Mardigan because it's a continuation and Val Kilmer with like his throat cancer and stuff like that. I'd rather just like see the character be killed and introduce another rogue type character in. Um, but yeah. I that's how I feel about it. So any further thoughts on Willow before we move into our concept that we're gonna talk about? Yeah, so, I mean I just wanted to say in. that my favorite scene in the whole entire movie was when they just Willow and Mardigan are trying to stand against the forces of, of Sorcerer's army in that castle. And Mardigan is just doing everything. Like in the same time that he's killed fifteen people and is just going from one room to the next color. Willow can't even get through a single door. Like <laughs> that is, those are the two battles that are going on simultaneous. Mardigan is facing off the entire army and, and Willow is banging on one door for five minutes. Yeah. And I, I fucking love to watch Mardigan just jump around, sprint around frantically and still somehow survive. Um, I love when the Igor or Eber like comes out of the water behind him and he runs and goes out and he's like in the army about to face off and then he turns to his right and sees that the army <laughs> is against him is right next to him and he he has like a double take moment that made me laugh out loud uh yeah well at first he stands up and he's like ah and then they all start running and he's like yeah and then he turns around and like oh shit yeah very good so. very like honestly like he's got to be like the establishment of the archetype for that sort of roguelike hero for this fantasy series early on um I, I don't feel like I'd 
looking at a lot of these movies, I haven't seen anyone sort of play this comic relief, but also the handsome rogue that we all vote for. You know what I mean? I don't know. I just, I feel like he really like solidified his way in there. And a lot of people basically base their characters off of him later on. Um, Cool. Any other thoughts before we move on to the overarching question here? Nope. All right, Brian, why don't you introduce us to whatever our overarching concept is that we want to talk about? So I've had a a fascination in these types of movies with the, I guess, maybe just power levels of the magic users. And I think a lot of the time uh, determining that can be done through just evaluating like the magic system that they use and in this one you know i i kind of wanted to explore the limitations of their magic and then compare them to magic users across other uh you know literature and movies uh you know dumbledore gandalf that kind of thing and just see how uh magic users in this movie as such as the nelwyn uh like wise wizard guy uh razelle uh, have more to stack up against other magic users in, in literature and see what you guys think. Okay. Well, why don't you hit us with like an example of someone who could stand so, up against, uh, I mean, is, we are we doing like ton. another King of the Hill type situation where we put one, like we compare the wizards in this movie and then pick one who's the most powerful of the three and then move Do on. Do you think there, any of them are a threat to, to someone like Gandalf or Dumbledore or anything like that? Because I, I guess I, I, we don't see enough from the Nelwyn wizard to, to say, but we do see a battle between Razel and Bavmorda that really echoes Gandalf and Saruman swinging each other around the wizard tower. Uh, you know, we see Bavmorda get up on a rampart and turn an entire army into pigs with the wave of her hand. I mean, there's there's some pretty powerful stuff that you see. Um, you know, I, I guess, you know, I'm just curious, do you think either of those two stack up against like a Gandalf or, you know, Dumbledore or anybody like that? So it's difficult to say because we're kind of limited to what we see in this in this movie right now. Right. Like as far as their power level and it, they're sort of hampered by 1988 special effects in that regard. There's no like other sort of texts that we can base their power level on, whereas like Gandalf we have like the his histories in the Silmarillion and, and the Lost Tales and then the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. Um, Dumbledore, we obviously have the movies and then the books. And then there's other characters who factor into this once we start to expand it, like Doctor Strange, who has almost limitless power, you know. Um, so it sort of it sort of puts them at a disservice because this is a this is this is a set of characters that was entirely created for this movie and so we only see the power level or we only have the power level that we're seeing on screen to compare them to right so that being said i think that maybe it's a fight when you start throwing in the lord of the rings movies or characters from the movies because we don't really see gandalf do a lot of stuff in those movies that like you know we see him like light up a crystal we see him open a door <laughs> we, we see him light up the sun a little bit brighter to scare the dragons away um but otherwise he's not like casting like lightning bolts or anything like that now in the hobbit books we see him like turn pine cones into explosives um we see him wield the secret flame it he can like cast he can like draw lightning down to him there's a few different things that he's does he does that are a little bit more powerful um, 
So maybe I see him being like a competition against them. But once you start bringing in like modern wizardry, like what we see Dumbledore and Voldemort do, you know, like that, they kind of start to take the cake, right? Dumbledore and Voldemort are, I think, on another level. I, I, I think Dumbledore can be put into most other stories and completely ruin the story. Um, you need other magic users at Dumbledore's level because there are zero limitations to the powers of magic users in the Harry Potter universe, right? I was telling Jeff in a recent conversation, I always found the interesting thing about Aragon, the, the Dragon Rider series, that your magic really only allows you to like instantly do things that you're capable of doing anyway. So if you want to pick up a giant stone with your magic, it would cost it would happen immediately, but it would cost you the same amount of energy that you would have used picking up that stone manually. Right. Like so there's a limitation to it and if you exceed the the limits of your own body, you die. That's what I like I like when there's a set of rules like that. Like I right. cuz I'm I'm honestly like do does the force factor in as a like do the the Jedi factor in as wizards in this context? Because like the force I always wanted to know what the rules around the force were. You know what I mean? Because in the movies we see Luke straining to like lift up the X Wing, right? But then Yoda does it with like the flick of a wrist and like doesn't really seem to give a shit, right? So it's like, well where does the rule where's that that factor in? And then we see in The Last Jedi, Ray lifts like all these boulders up and they're just like hovering around her and it's sort of like okay well like where does where does she rank on that and then they talk about like how anakin is like the strongest force user and it's like well i haven't seen him do anything different from like what we've seen anyone else do so what makes him stronger with the force so not having like a set of rules sort of govern the their ability sometimes can be frustrating because then it's like well where does that like why stop there you know why stop with whatever they can do in that regard i don't know i yeah it's yeah. i guess more than anything you might need to remove the harry potter universe from it well and just say just say bav morda razel gandalf and saruman are all in the tower doing a fat push battle who wins no i'm just kidding <laughs> well do we think <laughs> dr strange versus voldemort or dumbledore i mean i think that that's probably pretty fair no i don't think so because they could cast their spells instantaneously they can do it without making a sound those those happen he's like moving his hands around to do shit by the time he did that he'd be dead like i don't think so i think that and they can, we see the, the him in that attack fight him go ahead when we see strange again in that fight on titan against thanos and he's like just like becoming like multiple versions of himself and then all of them are using the crimson bands you know what i mean like He's pretty formidable, I think, when once he starts to become like the master of the mystic arts that we see him in the comics, and especially with my knowledge of Doctor Strange in the comics, he's he's not as limited as you might think from what you've seen. Especially, I just I, think they haven't really used him one hundred percent correctly in the movies. But I, maybe that's it. I just see him as very forward facing combatant, where he's like it has to be happening in front of him. in In the Harry Potter universe, they it seems like at the higher level when you see like Voldemort and Dumbledore fighting each other it's all about like you know attacks are coming at you from all sides like freezing the air around you to, to encase you in ice and you know making the water behind you turn into a you know a snake or you know whatever like they they have ways of like it's not like they're just straight shooting blasts at each other you know if yeah, he but, was fighting Harry Potter sure 
but the way that Dumbledore and Voldemort fight at that like more advanced level of combat, I, I just I there's zero limitations to their game and, and what they can actually produce and the speed with which they can produce it. I disagree. They do it instantly with the swing of a wand. I mean, like what we see him in Infinity Wars and in Endgame with him Doctor constant. Yeah, Doctor Strange. I mean, turning things to butterflies. I mean, using all of that magic. He is extremely well versed. I think he's up there with that same level of combat specifically power yeah, i think too. it's a fight i mean we sure. see him i think it goes either way we we but. see him stop an entire like tsunami in endgame like it's not like he's limited by power he continues to to help like constantly i mean isn't he part of stopping to destroy the moon to some extent i don't remember but um he's got extreme power that i don't think he's going to be overpowered or outmaneuvered very easily yeah, I think that the movies have found ways to sort of like depower him, like in a way to make the movies interesting. Whereas, like when we see him at full force, he's definitely a force to be reckoned with. I mean, he goes one on one with Thanos when Thanos has four of five Infinity Stones or whatever, or three of five. You know what I mean? Like, he's pretty, uh, he's pretty OP. I think it's, a, I think it's a fight, and it's a fifty-fifty toss-up on like which one's going to win it depends on who's writing the character and my opinion points his wand at him and says accio's ring (laughs) (laughs) accio's sling ring accio's sling ring that's funny yeah i mean yeah i just that i think the problem becomes like it's who can write the most overpowered like scene really and then once they do that well then we have that as a precedent and i think like you know rowling later on in the movies needed to just keep writing progressively more and more powerful scenes with these wizards to keep things interesting and it's the same thing that's happened with dr strange like every time he gets put up against something that he hasn't faced before he develops a new power that makes him you know even more incredible um and so it's yeah it's just they almost feel like you have to pull those those people away from the story and make it like these characters that are kind of limited within their power sets or there's rules around them right i think i think that that's the only way that you can really have the discussion it's similar to our discussion last week where we were like it has to be just on their sword fighting prowess not on their you know their whatever magic they have with them going back to the willow magic users like bab morda with that pig spell dude like yeah it was good she, she doesn't even bat an eyelash she just turns an army to pigs and like that i don't know like I could see another magic user being, you know, being able to explain that they could, uh, you know, circumvent that. But like, an, he, she can stop entire armies with like the swing of her hands. Seems kind of super powered to me. Like that's crazy. You yeah, know? we don't see. We definitely don't see Gandalf or Saruman do anything like that. Um, which is interesting, actually, that you point that out. I, uh, yeah, that's one of the main things about the Lord of the Rings. I always wanted more of i feel like the wizards are described as like lesser gods to an extent when you when you really dive into like their his their like history in the silmarillion and the lost trails lost tales but they never really like show off a power set that's akin to any of the other like more powerful beings you know it's just sort of like they're in tune with nature a little bit deeper or they're wiser because they've lived longer and they can commune with the gods and it's it's sort of like, well, I want to see Gandalf wave, you know, wield the flame. You know, I want to see that kind of shit. Um, but that's, you know, again, Tolkien writing against, you know, 
you know, if he was creating Gandalf now, when there's like a Dumbledore that exists, I'm sure Gandalf comes out way stronger, right? Right. So, Dumbledore is only so powerful because Rowling was trying to separate him and make him a greater magic user than Merlin or Gandalf or any of the wizards that we had seen in in fiction before. So, yeah, I do I do struggle to find a comparison between, or I mean, someone who can dethrone a character like Dumbledore or Doctor Strange. Jeff, do you have anyone that you can pit up put up against it? No, I mean, I think. You know, Harry Potter gets the edge up because it is just a magical world. There is no other power set in that world, right? Like, whereas superheroes have so many other... Like, the Marvel Universe has so much other things that magic has to contend with that we don't know if magic is truly stronger than, you know, Iron Man's technology, right? Like, there's so much that that goes kind of head-to-head that limits it whereas magic is in the harry potter world just this supreme force and lord of the rings um it does seem limited so i i think it's tough for us to really compare the two um while i would love to say well i still think that that dr strange puts up a fight it's just too tough to say that he would be able to win so it's yeah it's overall it's just hard and i don't even think the willow people are, are really in the conversation um the only thing is we don't really see Balmor to have a limitation to her power. It doesn't even seem like the pig spell really affects her or drains her in any way, other than she looks terrible when they enter the chamber. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't really get why she was de- deteriorating so quickly. The only faster deterioration I've ever seen is Emperor Sidious turning into a, a scrotum <laughs> in one scene. <laughs> yeah, I, Vader. I don't disagree. Um... Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. What about, like, the the Snow Queen or the Ice Queen or whatever from Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe? Is she? Like, she's turning people into, like, frozen Stone. statues, right? They have to touch her, her weapon in order to see her. I think she has to make that, contact with them. That's right. Um, what, Well, yeah, but then she just tricks them with chocolate. You know what I mean? She's walking around, giving people chocolate. Um, who else do we see in fiction be that tough what about like maleficent she turns into like a giant dragon fair not bad what else does she do what movie is she in is she sleeping beauty she puts bitches to sleep she's out she's out there giving people narcolepsy Um, yeah through pretty powerful (laughs) pinwheel but yeah um i don't know i yeah it really is tough to what about merlin what are the what are the biggest magical moments we see Merlin? What do I mean? Which Merlin? You see a lot of different Merlins. I know, but like yeah. just in any Merlin fiction that you can think of, Brian. I know you've read a lot of Merlin stuff. Merlin is, um, I would say at least Dumbledore level, if not even greater. All right. What about just as a general statement? The reason being. His feats are just like I'm like trying to picture them in comparison, like in terms of what they accomplish. And I, I know Dumbledore is the greatest in a universe where there are basically uncapped powers, right? Merlin is also mentioned in that universe as being like the pre-Dumbledore Dumbledore, sure. And we also get him in other media as being the most powerful wizard, bar none. Like they don't talk about Merlin as second tier to anyone. 
No, but he's also know. like the first wizard in fiction. So that's probably right. why they the do that wizard. because yeah. they've mythologized him even further than the mythology he already yeah. existed in, right? So I could just I couldn't even imagine trying to have a conversation where I put him below anybody. But uh, we've never just... seen him in in any context do anything on the level of of Dumbledore or Strange or Voldemort. So he's or... got a whole series of books. I don't know if you want to go that deep into well, it. Yeah, but, but T.A. Barron like writes, but. Even then, like reading, I read some of those, and it, I don't really feel like he's doing anything that's that impressive. Like compared to like, you know, even Harry Potter, I feel like does more impressive shit than Merlin in those books. I think there's two sides in those books. You got the Lost Years, where you're talking about Merlin as your main character, and he's doing accomplishment after accomplishment and gaining in power over the course of the books. And then you have the newer age one in that series. We're talking about the Lost Years of Merlin, and then. I forget what the other series is called, but uh, both written by T.A. Barron, high recommend. But anyway, those other ones, he's either an old man or he's gone. And he's created this world for everybody to enjoy. And he has left a lasting mark on them, but he's not an active participant in the story any longer. But he is always talked about as being the ultimate wizard. And I just, I don't know. I, if you're talking about in terms of pure combat, I don't think that we ever see him go toe-to-toe just blasting magic at somebody else like Dumbledore and Voldemort. I, I think you yeah. have to remove them from the conversation. I feel like he's but... only the greatest because there's no one to compare him to in those. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, who are, you, who are you putting him up against in Arthurian legend? Morgana? Like, come on. No. Yeah. It's, not, it's nothing. Um, yeah, I don't know. Pretty ridiculous. Yeah, but, but you know, so he's, he's one that's kind of hard to touch because he's always talked about in this exalted way and yet I can't really speak to him you know, like Voldemort and Dumbledore, where they're just straight fighting each other. You know, like that one, you get a real pure idea of their power levels and their capabilities in an actual combat situation. Doctor Strange, we see him in plenty of combat situations. Like you can actually speak to it, maybe even put them in your mind on the same battlefield and see what would happen. Yeah. But Merlin, you can't really apply in that way. Babmorda, you get a little bit, but like I said, I think you'd have to contain that scenario to Babmorda and Razel versus. Gandalf and Saruman in a push and throw battle. Yeah, but even I'm thinking now, like Gandalf, my frustration with Gandalf also comes in the fact that every time we see him in combat, he's just using a sword. He's not like, he's not like parrying and then like blasting a group of orcs back with like his. That'd be sick. Yeah, that would be cool to see him actually (laughs) using his magic in that way. But we just don't even see that. Even in the books, he doesn't use it that way, which is kind of frustrating. If I think now that I'm thinking about yeah. it, I kind of You're wish that great we... wizard blast. Yeah, people. why aren't you? Yeah, come on, Tolkien, be more imaginative. Just come wind blasts or something like even something that doesn't kill them. You know, yeah, like, or use that push. shield that he has that he uses against the Balrog. You know what just I mean? Just quick like, bursts of it to like block attacks. Yeah, just like big groups of people. Like he stands in the middle and you know, boom, force bubble or whatever. Yeah, it'd be it would be cooler. You know, I don't know. I uh, I would like to see that. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think you're we... right. He, he he kind of strikes me as a Merlin-esque figure where you don't get a whole lot of conversation or, or depiction of him actually using magic in a battle. We just get we just get a lot of people being like, "Whoa, he's the great wizard!" And it's like, Gandalf. Yeah, Gandalf the Grey, and it's like. How do you guys even know that he's a great wizard? Like, did anyone see him do anything other than set fireworks off? I think he just walks around telling people he's a great wizard. And they're like, all right, word. Yeah, sick, man. But everyone just accepts that he's like this powerful guy. And I'm like, where did that 
story comes yeah from the most interesting thing he does is in the hobbit when he's like doing backflips while sword fighting and he's like nine nine hundred years old or whatever it's like okay well that's pretty what? impressive <laughs> what are you talking about i don't remember that scene it's in the hobbit when like him and uh, saruman go to fight the uh, the necromancer which is actually just sauron or whatever you know it's in the third hobbit movie it's I don't different. remember him doing backflips. They're not really doing backflips, but they're just like they're very old men, but they're like being canny oh! swordsmen, you know? Um yeah. it's ridiculous. But yeah. I uh I don't know. I think I think the conversation really comes down to the fact that like mo- like the what we've turned wizardry into and you know, magic users into is you know, is far more impressive than, than it was back in the day. Um Cool. Well, uh, do we have any final thoughts on our wizard battle, our magic w- users battle? Anyone? Going once, going twice. All right. What's no. clever? Um, what have we been wa- watching, reading, listening to? Um, I'll go first this week. I just watched a bunch of documentaries. I watched every every single episode or feature from the Untold Netflix documentary series. Um, I watched The Bling Ring, the real Bling Ring on Netflix, and that's pretty much everything I good? watched this week. Worth watching. Do you know anything about that story? Uh, no, I just, well, uh, yeah, they, they got into like a, a burglar ring to steal from celebrities, right? Yeah, that's pretty much, it's just like two of those people kind of explaining their, their, what they did in that and like the actual story behind it rather than like what has been kind of portrayed in the media. Which was interesting, but if you've ever, like, even read the Wikipedia page on it, you already know all of the information. So, I don't know. It was well, it was told well enough, and it was kind of interesting. To, it's two of the different people, and they don't talk to each other, and they're telling their version of events, and they don't directly line up. So, it's like the two of them sort of arguing with each other through the documentary, which is kind of funny. Um, and they're being sort of catty throughout where he's like, oh my God, she's ridiculous if she told you that because that's not how it happened and shit like that, uh, which I thought was um, pretty funny. But otherwise, if you know the story, I, it was fine to have on in the background because I like documentaries, but otherwise, you know, kind of missable. Um, the Untold series, Brian already recommended this. Uh, really, really, really good sort of stories from sports history that you probably wouldn't have heard about a few of them you probably have heard about but yeah um pretty good pretty well done i i like them quite a lot the end one feature was really good um the manti teo one that brian talked about a couple weeks ago was really good um yeah very very eye-opening kind of exploration specifically though the one with the ref uh operation flagrant foul or whatever they were calling that was eye-opening because it was interesting hearing a referee basically being like, yeah, going into this game, I knew this ref hated this coach, so I just told the guy to vote on this guy because the other coach wasn't going to get any calls. And I was like, I knew it! I knew refs did that shit! I knew that shit! Uh, it was pretty interesting. It was the first time I'd ever heard like an ex-ref really communicate that, like, yeah, we totally, like, he didn't like this player. Like, he didn't like Iverson's attitude, so he called pretty much every palming you know, call oh, against yeah, Iverson and shit like that. I was like, oh, I knew they did that kind of shit. I knew it. Um, but yeah, pretty good stuff if you like those, uh, you know, sort of stories. I'll double confirm that. Those are, those are really entertaining. So highly recommend if you have a do- documentary itch to scratch. Yeah, which I, I do. Um, who's next? Who wants to go next? 
Jeff, go ahead. Jeff. I can go next. Um, yeah, my, my list is pretty short. Uh, I've just been spending most of my free time uh, playing video games with Brian. Still playing No Man's Sky. Still highly recommend it. Um, staying up to date with Rings of Power. I'm, I'm one episode behind on House of Dragons. But uh, the other thing that I did watch this week was I did watch the new Hocus Pocus 2 as part of my friend groups have all seen the first one. I never saw the first one. still haven't seen the first one. Um, but I did find Hocus Pocus too enjoyable. Um, if you liked the first one, go watch the second one. You won't be disappointed. How do you know you won't be disappointed? <laughs> you haven't even seen the first one to compare Because the to. second one was enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, but what if I have like these like preconceived notions from the first one they, and I want them to What if they fuck meet... up the storyline? Yeah, exactly. You don't know. You have nothing they to compare. Because I watched it with people like, that have seen the first one. one. And they were Dude, satisfied. I, I do want to say a coworker of mine was like, oh, yeah, I have only seen The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. And I was like, what? You didn't watch Batman Begins? He's like, no, I get it. I'm like, what? You got- no, you don't. Uh, no. You don't get it. No. He's just like, That's when he's Batman like, no, you don't begins. need to watch it. He's like, you can just watch any James Bond movie. And I'm like, yeah, James Bond tells individual stories. This is Batman. It tells a three-story prog- character progression. Like, what are you talking about? It's different. You can't start with no time to die without ex- without seeing like the other James Bond movies because there's character progression you're missing you know so anyway I hate that man I'm gonna fight him just kidding <laughs> especially knowing that somebody I work with listens to this podcast I am kidding I'm not threatening violence against anyone in our office um Brian what have you been watching Rings of Power House of the Dragon and uh, playing No Man's Sky. So I, I got a lot of the same as Jeff. I am way, way higher on Rings of Power than House of the Dragon at this point. That's oh, yeah. all I got to say about that. We can cover more on that later. But um, No Man's Sky, I just wanted to spend my time doing a, a, an even further plug for that game. Super fun. We're just, every time I get on, it's, it feels like I'm opening up more of the game. Uh, you know, just just having a blast. It's a deep space game with resource collecting and good combat and high quality uh, graphics. I I'm I'm uh, I'm hooked on it right now. So high high recommend. Um, and that's all I got right now. Um, yeah, I do quickly want to say, um, Rings of Power. I am an episode behind on Rings of Power, but. The Nielsen ratings came out. Um, Nielsen ratings, for those who don't know, is kind of how they judge viewership on TV series. Um, or And now they have like a streaming category on the Nielsen ratings. And so different partnered uh, streaming apps will, will like release their ratings or their viewership numbers to Nielsen for reporting standards. And Rings of Power is number one for the month of August. And House of the Dragon is number five. So... No surprise to me. Uh, Rings no of Power is absolutely crushing. I think they had like 1.7 million viewers for each episode or something like that. And House of the Dragon had like 750,000 or something. Um, yeah. In my opinion, still they're pretty high, different, but different directions in terms of quality. Yeah, I think so to spe- specifically talk about the most recent episode of House of the Dragon. I know, Jeff, you said you hadn't watched it yet, but um, I'm going to speak in vagities. They're they do a massive time jump in this one, which I keep talking about the time jumps being the the worst part of that series. Um, it feels like I've watched six episodes of previously on House of the Dragon. That's what it feels like. It feels like I'm getting a recap every week. 
instead of actually like get, getting to care about any of the fucking characters and then they're like killing people off and acting like I should give a fuck that anybody dies in it and I'm like I don't even know who that guy is I don't know what their relation to any of the other characters are I don't understand who like what I'm like I have nothing to latch onto with this series and it's really frustrating me I want to care because I think it looks great like I think it looks amazing but I like I don't and like the acting is honestly pretty good but the story is just moving so fast I'm I'm struggling to keep up with like who anybody is or where they where they fit into the story structure feels like I've watched a previously on recap of five seasons of the series for like every episode and it's very frustrating to me whereas I think Rings of Power is telling an unfolding narrative where I'm I'm caring about characters I'm wondering about the mysteries like there's different things that there's different questions that I'm kind of getting little bits to and it's it's unfolding in a very satisfying way, whereas House of the Dragon just feels like they're speeding through the setup to get to a more interesting story that I don't even know if I'm going to be interested in sticking around for, you know, because they're clearly setting up for the they're giving us all the backstory for why the Targaryen Civil War happens. And then they're going to slow down and then just tell the story of the Civil War. But now I have six episodes of of background that I like don't give a shit about, you know, and I'm like, I don't I don't know. It's very frustrating to me. Um that this is the, the direction they went with it. But uh, happy to see that um, a couple weeks ago we talked about the review, re- review bombs on uh, Rings of Power. Very happy to see that that um, it's doing so well because it makes me feel like, you know, I'm not alone. Because I feel like people I'm talking to are not watching Rings of Power. They're watching House of the Dragon. And I'm like, I don't understand. Like, why aren't people watching this Lord of the Rings show? It's way better. No. When, when I saw that uh, Rings of Power got review bombed, first off, I didn't understand it. Because a lot of those people that were review bomb- bombing it were people that were pissed just like us about the ending of Game of Thrones. And then the moment the show came back, they all went right back to being loyal, you know, fans of the show. And I was just like, hold on. Are you guys actually watching it in, like giving it a critical opinion because like from episode one I've been like I'll, I'll keep going but that didn't really get me episode two I'll keep going but that didn't really grab me and it's continued to happen and I'm like I don't understand where the negative sentiment went for Rings of Power because from episode one I was like okay wow this seems like it's got super high production value and some real promise and it's just continued to go on and there's like seven different characters that I'd be upset if they died right now because I want to know more about their story and what's going to happen. So yeah, whereas the House of the Dragon, kill them all and just let's just watch dragons fight each other for a couple episodes. I don't care. I, I'm not understanding where that like weird allegiance to Game of Thrones came back because I'm, I've been coming into it like, you guys burned a bridge with me. I will watch and see if you guys redeem yourselves. But like I'm not feeling the, the old loyalty that I used to feel for Game of Thrones and, and, and I don't know where like such a huge you know following was doing that right off the bat it was such a weird flip for me that i i can't get my head around because uh clearly people aren't as angry over the season eight debacle as i am because I'm, I'm still looking at house of the dragon like you guys haven't done anything to fix the way i feel about your your franchise for me it's not even about season eight it's not like i don't care about that like i'll forgive them for that i just want them to tell a story that i care about and I, here's the perfect example. My wife has watched every single episode of House of the Dragon, and there was a major character death in the most recent episode, and she was like, "Who, who was that guy?" Yeah. She's like, "I don't even know what that guy's name is, who, where he fits into this story," and I was just like, "Yeah, I mean, I know his name, and I understand why we're supposed to care about it, but I don't because 
I don't really understand who he's related to, what that means for the overarching narrative of the series going forward or in the past. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, I just... But but in Rings of Power, similarly, my wife, I don't think she could tell me who Arandir is. But she'd be like, "Oh, that Wood Elf guy died. That sucks. Why? Like, that's there's he had so much going on. I want to know more. You know? Did like, you just tell me that that no, doesn't happen? No, no, it doesn't, okay. no, it doesn't <laughs> no. But we I did just like, spoil what? that it doesn't happen. Okay. No, but I'm, what I'm saying is, if it occurred, she'd be like, "What the hell? Like, even without a name, that like we're we're able to put our arms around that character because we've gotten enough time with them. Exactly. And development. That's exactly and so, right. And and there's a bunch of characters that they've successfully done that with. Where I'm like, dude, I'd be pissed if we lost this character, or that character right now." Yeah, and you know, I, I I don't know. House of the Dragon is doing very very little for me right now. The redeeming qualities to me are are the uh, are the de- redeeming moments are when we get dragons on screen. So I'm just like, let's get some fights going because visually awesome. stunning. And like I said, acting performances doing a really good job carrying most of the weight of the show. Because to be honest, the plot and story is failing the series right now. It's the time jumps are really like really bothering me. It's really frustrating. Um, they're introducing characters that they make it seem like they matter and then they're just then they just do away with them immediately and it's just like okay well I don't I didn't even have time to care about that person so I don't understand but whatever um, have you guys caught up on Endor do you care about it going forward I've watched the first two episodes um, I'm going to try and stay current I'm cool. enjoying it I like it a lot episode three clearly the best episode four is pretty good i think that we're getting a different side of the star wars universe that we have never seen before which i really appreciate and uh, i think it looks great it's by far the best looking star wars tv show like way better looks way better than the mandalorian looks way better than boba fett looks way better than kenobi did kenobi looked like it was filmed in a fucking closet um this looks like they literally went to locations and actually filmed and i know that that's just by virtue of you know kenobi was filmed during the pandemic and this one is filmed on locations but god it looks great it looks really really good um but yeah cool well i think we can wrap it up there guys any final thoughts on anything oh jeff what what are we watching next week next week we are going to be watching 1981's clash of the titans oh (laughs) it is on hbo max (laughs) okay have you seen this movie (laughs) i have Okay. It's it's a classic for a reason. We're going to talk uh, about it. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. I'm down. Yeah. I mean, we can maybe – yeah. All right. That's interesting. I'm, I'm glad you're down because you don't get a choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I kind of set myself up with this uh, plot or this uh, new format that we've – that I created for the show. So I guess – I'm going to get Jeff back next time when I make him watch a really scary movie. (laughs) Um, All right, guys. Uh, Clash of the Titans for 1981. See you then. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye, Bye, everyone. Jesus. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Clever Kids Podcast. If you want more from us, be sure to follow us on social media. We're at Clever Kids Pod everywhere. Or you can get in touch with us at cleverkidspodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And be sure to rate us on whatever app you're listening on and recommend us to a friend. We really appreciate it. Or don't. Whatever's clever.